If your Bible's with you, I'll be referring um, to this passage, different parts of the passage, so I'm sure it would be helpful to you as well as it would be for me to have it in front of you. But let's pray as we come to this passage. Lord, we thank you that these things are recorded for our benefit, and we pray that you will help us to see your word and your truth um, in it, that we may live in response of it, Lord. Help us to uh, be open, uh, open our ears and minds and hearts uh, for your word to come in and be planted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you all know that I love movies, and so I'm going to do a little bit of a trivia. Uh, so I'm going to give you the first half of these um, famous lines from movies, and you tell me how the, the, the lines finished. So, for example, if I say E.T., phone home, and that's from E.T., how about Houston? We have a problem. How about show me the money from Jerry Maguire? I'm going to make an offer. It's actually he can't refuse, but yeah, you can refuse is how we misquote it these days. Love means? Yeah, it's an old movie. It, you've betrayed your, um, your age a bit. I'm sorry there, Andy. Um, Louis, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, Casablanca. Well, we're almost done with the book of Judges, um, and I think there is, has been a familiar refrain from in the book of Judges. So it starts, and it's, it started with this phrase, right? So the first half of this was, um, in those days, Israel had no king. And how would you complete that sentence? In those days, Israel had no king. Very good to about 40% of you. Um, and, and, and everyone did as he saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. But chapter 18 actually starts with only the first half of that phrase, the whole phrase. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, but it doesn't complete the second half. Um, the, one of the commentators thinks that the reason why is because the rest of the story tells you it illustrates how everyone did as they saw fit. He saw fit. So, last week we saw how Micah did as he saw fit, um, which was really he, he, at the heart of idolatry, to do what he wants to do, to worship God in the way that he wants to worship, with the element of Yahweh worship, but also elements of idolatry here and there. He was do, doing everything, and we, sh- uh, we, we saw that he was doing everything because he wanted to be blessed by God. He wanted God to be good to him, once again, which is at the heart of idolatry. And we see in this chapter how this actually goes from a worship of a household god into becoming uh, uh, the, wor- uh, the whole tribe does the same thing. Whole tribe doing as they saw, they saw fit. The chapter dis- uh, starts with a description of the Danites uh, seeking a place of, uh, of their own in verse 1. So it says, they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. But this really is a euphemism for what had happened. Because it's not that they didn't take, they didn't get the inheritance. God gave them the inheritance, but they didn't go and take it. That's why they hadn't inherited, they hadn't come to an inheritance. Remember uh, in chapter 1, when we uh, first started this series and how it began, and what chapter 1 tells us about the Danites. 
The author listed the failures of each of the tribe to drive out the foreigners and their gods from their promised land. It says things like, in, in chapter 1, verse 27, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan. It says something similar about the tribe of Ephraim, um, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, and all the other tribes. But when it comes to the Danites, it says something that's slightly different. The author wrote, the Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. In verse uh, 34, chapter 134, the writer of the book says that the Amorites set the boundaries for the Danites. So everyone else went into their promised land, but Danites did not even go in. They were confined to their land because Amorites didn't allow them to come in. Danites never went to conquer the land that was promised, the, the cities that was promised to them. They weren't courageous enough. Remember Joshua's words, the final words as he goes, as he dies. Joshua tells the Israelites, Yahweh your God himself will drive these nations out before you, out of your way. He will push them out before you. You will take possession of, of their land as Yahweh uh, your God had promised. Be strong. Joshua 23, 5, 6. The Danites didn't act on these promises. They thought the Amorites to the east of them and the Philistines to the west of them were too strong for them, so they didn't go to claim the cities that had been promised to them. And so they devised their own plan. They said, well, these guys are too hard to defeat. Why don't we go to the north? That's why they send out the five spies to the north, to the city of Laish, to check that city out because they didn't want to go into the land that was promised to them. You see here, once again, an attempt to, in a way, sort of control um, uh, their own fate, their own destiny, uh, and feel secure in their own plan. On their way of seeing these spies, um, on their way, these spies went into the uh, house of Micah, and when they recognized the uh, Levite's uh, accent, um, because he came from the south, they asked the Levite, please ask God, ask God to learn whether our journey will be successful. It sounds pious, um, but this request, uh, this request sounds really pious, but are they really seeking God's will? Are they really going... Ask God what God wants us to do. Is that what they're asking? Because I don't think this is what's happening. This can't be because God had already told them where to go. They refuse to go. They're going somewhere else. What they really want is, once again, God, a divine approval of their own plans. They didn't like God's plans, and so they devise their own, and they now want God's blessing on their own plan. They're interested in God's blessing upon their decision. And this isn't all that different from Micah saying, having all of, uh, done all of this, and then going, surely God must be good to me now, now, now that I have this Le- Levitical priest. What they're doing is what we, what we do with all of the false religion. We try to control God through our religiosity, trying to get God to bless our own plans. That's why they ask. And the Levite, the priest, um, fails them. 
And we knew that this was going to happen. He's, he's a venal priest, and we know that he's to be, he, he was susceptible to bribery. We know that Christ, the, the priest isn't concerned about doing God's will, because if he had been concerned of uh, doing God's will, he would not be in the house of Micah. There's no such thing as a personal priest, household priest. He should not be there. He, he, uh, he, he, should, he should not be um, uh, in, in Micah's house. He should be in Shiloh. He should be in, in, in other places designated for the, the Levites. So when he says, go in peace, it sounds pious, but he's not pronouncing Yahweh's will for them. He's giving them what they want to hear. At the heart of the false religion is once again trying to attempt, attempt to control God, to use God, um, to get God to bless our own life, our own plans. I mean, think about all the little things that we do. Um, I, I know maybe there, there are some of you who know people like this. Um, people will say, well, if I get married in this auspicious state, that means I have some control over my marriage, isn't it? Because I'm saying that this marriage, that, that, that thing that's difficult, if I get married in this state, then I have some control over how the marriage will turn out. If it were that easy... If we go to a palm reader and he tells me of the future, it gives me a bit of control over my life so I can feel a bit more secure over it. Sometimes I think Christians do the same thing within the walls of the church. People come to, uh, to, uh, to God and, and pray to God, and the goal isn't actually seeking God's will. It's to get God to bless us for uh, the plans that we have made for ourselves, our own plans of our lives. But such idol worship doesn't have to have uh, sort of this religious face. Pursuit of control and security is really, in many ways, at the very root of why we worship idols, and not just idols, but worship things, why we work so hard to get fame and money and reputation, because we all believe that all of these things will help us to have a bit more control over our life, so that we can feel a bit more secure over our lives. So if you have $100 in your bank account, you feel completely insecure, but when you have, I don't know, $10,000, you feel much more secure about your life because you feel like you can have more control over what's to, hap- what's to come. But um, it's a false sense of security, isn't it? These, uh, security that comes with these idols. In 1847, two brothers established a dry goods store in the U.S. In 1850s, the business around cotton grew very quickly, and it opened the first branch in New York City in 1858. It started to deal with this emerging market with the railroad bonds and entered into financial advisory uh, business, and the business steadily grew, and by the turn of the century, it was the fourth largest investment bank in the U.S. But at 1.45 a.m., on September 15, 2008, the Lehman Brothers um, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Overnight, they fell. Such is the security that the idols promise. Such is the false security that we have. We think we can do these things to control our life. We, can, we think if we have this, if we have this idol in my life, then actually I can, I can have a bit, a bit more control. I can feel a bit more secure with our lives. But it's a false security. 
all our attempts to control God in the end will be in vain. To achieve security apart from God is in vain. We can't control God, much less we can, um, when Jesus says, you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. You can't control your life, only God can. We can only be truly secure in knowing God, in being loved by God, and seeking His kingdom, uh, seeking His kingdom, uh, seeking Him and His kingdom first, knowing His goodness through Jesus Christ. So a true religion, if you think about it, starts not with trying to control God, but laying down our lives. It starts with repentance, and it starts with surrendering our lives. It starts with saying, God, take my life and make it what you will. I will follow whatever path you set before me. It starts with surrendering and then a pledge to obeying God. And that's not what these people have done. And if we do this, if we worship these idols, actually, we, on some level, know that these are idols, that these are false security. And so, therefore, it produces people, what C.S. Lewis calls men without chests, people without conviction, people whose lives are not transformed, people whose lives are not inspiring or daring in any sense, because what they're really watching out for is themselves. Um, the Danites, take the, take the Danites, the Danites weren't willing to take this risk of going in to their promised land, their promised cities. Even though God had promised success for them, they lack conviction. But that's not the, that's not, that's not the worst of it. Because they take the path of least resistance, they end up um, exploiting a city that lives in security and in peace, as we're told twice in verse 7 and 25. They actually do evil as a result. So that's the Danites. They're not willing to take risks. They actually end up taking advantage of others. Take another uh, character here, the Levite priest. We knew he was venal. We knew um, he, he became a priest for Micah, Micah's family, because, because Micah promised money. Micah promised security for him. But now he goes to the tribe of Dan, and it doesn't take much convincing for him to change loyalty. They say, they come in verse 19, come with us and be our father and priest. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe um, and, and clan in Israel as a priest rather than just being one man's, uh, one man's household? Isn't it better for whom? It's better for him. It's better for his reputation to be a priest um, in for the, the, uh, to be a priest of a one household, um, and then to be a priest of an entire uh, entire nation, entire tribe. They stoked his ego, and it's and it's funny if you really look at the details here. Uh, in verse twenty, it's not the Danites who take the ephod and the idols and the silver image; it's the priest. He takes all of it with him, and he takes it to Danites. Men without chests. And finally, take a look at Micah. When he finds out that he's missing these idols, he goes after them. He, go, he gets his friends, and he goes and confronts the Danites. But then they turn, the, the Danites turn and threaten him. And this is what he does in verse 26. Seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home. 
This is his God that he worshipped. But he sees the 600 people and goes, well, that's too much. That's too much. He didn't think that the, his idols were worth dying for, men without chests, men without conviction. And if our version of Christianity is like this, if ultimately what you are searching for is uh, your own comfort, your own security, your own happiness, and all of that, then you will never live a transformed, daring life for Jesus Christ. And it will, do, it will do positive damage to the gospel. The Atlantic, Atlantic Magazine had this article um, come out, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago uh, called Listening to Young Atheists. The author did a study of Christians who abandoned their faith and became atheists. One participant said that he stopped going to church because the church became boring for him. It became boring. The church didn't engage um, with his uh, difficult questions. Michael, another participant, vented out, Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life, and you want to change the lives of others. I haven't seen too much of that. The author concluded that actually the Christians who have embraced atheism had done so not in reaction to another religion like Islam or Buddhism or other things. These people who became atheists became atheists as a reaction to Christianity because the Christians lived uninspiring, hypocritical, untransformed lives. It turned them off to Christianity. People without chests. Knowing Jesus should transform our lives, shouldn't it? Having our sins forgiven, having our future hope secured, God being with us through His Spirit should make us people whose lives are different, shouldn't it? Then, then I ask, why is it that we don't tell this good news to others? Um, Penn Jillette is a famous uh, atheist magician. Uh, he's the bigger one out of, out of the two. Um, he was given a Bible a- after uh, one of his uh, shows by, by a man. And Gillette, despite the fact that he's a famous atheist, and despite the fact he grew up in the church, he probably knows the Bible probably better than the guy who gave it, was moved and he was touched because what he thought was, this man believes in the scripture and he cares for me. He cares for me. He has this uh, famous YouTube uh, clip. Uh, you can look it up, Pendulette, um, atheist, um, something. Uh, but he, he, go, he, str- he looks at, at the camera, and he's almost in tears as he says this. And he says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe that there is heaven and hell, and people who could be going to, uh, people could be going to hell and not getting it, uh, getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that is not really worth telling them, uh, telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. He says, "How much do you have to hate the person to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them?" People without chests, do we live, do we believe this? Do we live our lives with conviction? 
And it's not just, obviously, the way that we would tell others about Jesus Christ. All of our life would be affected by faith in Christ. The way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, the jobs that we seek, the kind of spouse that we look for, how we treat our family members, our colleagues, um, our, our, our subordinates, our bosses, the way that we talk to people, the way with the, the, what, what, we, what we think, what we watch, what we hear, what we read, all of that should be transformed by our faith in Jesus Christ. People with conviction in Christ, people with chess, would live lives, uh, lives differently. And we would be people who at the very least, hopefully, would be interesting people. People who can offer to the world an alternative way of living. People who say, there is a different way than how you are living right now. You know, that Atlantic article um, ends with the story of uh, George Whitfield, the famous uh, First Great Awakening preacher. I mean, he was, a, he was actually, at the time, he was one of the biggest celebrities that the world and, and knew. Um, George Whitfield was a famous preacher, and David Hume was an atheist philosopher. And David Hume uh, was recognized um, in the crowd uh, uh, that George Whitfield was preaching to. And someone turned to David Hume and said, I thought you didn't believe in the gospel. Hume, um, uh, Hume answered, I don't. But he sort of nodded towards uh, Whitfield's direction and then said, but he does. Because Whitfield believed it. He came and he wanted to listen to Whitfield, what Whitfield had to say. People with conviction. And the thing is, it's really scary what happens? What, what, what happens if we live our lives without conviction? If we don't live our lives um, as we should? In a way, the story, um, once again, is about how this household god becomes the piety of an entire tribe, entire nation. The idolatry of Micah, how that becomes the idolatry of the tribe of Dan. And if you think about the tribe of Dan, it's just amazing. They had just been delivered out of Egypt. God opened the seas for them. Well, that generation might have died. Okay, fine. But they walked across the, the, the River Jordan um, um, uh, in, on dry feet. They w- marched around the, uh, the, the, the walls of Jericho and saw the walls of Jericho crumbling down. But they still found that the conquering the city that God had promised them, difficult. So, as we have seen, they conquered Laish and set up an altar there, and they renamed the city Dan. And it has a devastating consequences. The, the city of Dan becomes a perpetual place of idolatry. Later on, when King Jeroboam sets to, uh, he wants to set up an uh, alternative worship place uh, uh, from Jerusalem, he sets up an altar in Dan as well, so people don't have to go down to Jerusalem. For generations after Dan will become a place of idol worship. The tribe of Dan lost their faith, but it affected their children as well. But it's not just Dan, the tribe of Dan, that is shocking here. You know, this nameless Levitical priest is finally named in verse 30. We read there, There the Danites set up for themselves the idol, the Jonathan son of Gershom, 
the son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. With the grammar of the sentence, we can't be for sure um, when this happened, but it seems it seems like the writer is saying that the Levitical priest that became the, 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 the priest of uh, this idol worship in, for the tribe of Dan is the grandson of Moses. Moses' grandson became the, the spineless priest for the tribe of Dan. There's a saying that says, God doesn't have grandchildren. We are his adopted children. You and I. But there's no guarantee that our children will inherit our faith. They'll come to know and love Jesus as we do. Moses' grandson did not. The thing is, we are all one generation away, if you think about it, from Christianity is uh, one generation away from extinction. Unless we teach our children, unless we go out and make spiritual children, This could theoretically be the last generation that knows and loves Jesus. And it's scary to me how so many pastor's kids don't go to church anymore, how they've lost their faith. We can't take the faith of our children for granted. In fact, once again, I'll go back to that Atlantic article. It says that the the time when most people lose their faith is um, at the age between 14 and 17 and their youth. We must invest our time and energy and resources in reaching our youth, in educating, their, educating them, in answering their tough questions. You must equip yourself so that when they ask you tough questions, you could answer them. We can't dumb down our faith and still expect our children to take our faith seriously. We must invest in our youth group. You must invest time in telling your children your stories of faith, your testimony. Discuss faith. Discuss, discuss Christianity around the dinner tables. And we must also live our lives with conviction. Because children will, children will smell hypocrisy. They're, they're very good at smelling hypocrisy. And if they see that your life, you say one thing, you go to church, but then your lives are completely different, that will affect their life. This doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, but you know, when they point to your hypocrisy, apologize. Say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. I love Jesus. I shouldn't have done that. Practice grace. Show that grace. But in the New Testament, obviously, primarily, New Testament isn't concerned about um, just our children. It's uh, concerned about making spiritual children, going out there and making disciples of Christ, proclaiming the gospel with our lives, not just with our lives, but with our words as well. This tribe of Dan, I'm going to end with a fairly sober warning here. Danites lost their faith and became men, people of without chess. And they are, um, it's a sober warning to us. Can, if you have your Bibles, could you all turn to Revelation chapter 7? Revelation chapter 7. There, between verses 5 and 8, it lists the, all the tribes of Israel, doesn't it? What it's missing there is the tribe of Dan. They're not there. 
They're not a part of God's inheritance. And that's a sober warning for us. We must live our lives with conviction. We must follow Jesus and all his ways. And we must teach our children. We are all in danger of losing it if we don't. We have a king. We have a king. And let's live our lives that's fit for him. That was actually the third point, the imminent danger, but there we go. (laughs) Let's pray together.